Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. You are delivering a message via TV that if the person communicating is sitting down, it communicates comfort and peace. So I hope that you feel comforted and and at peace by me sitting down, but um, I don't know how much truth there actually is to that, so we're just going to roll with this. Um, Another thing that I also read was uh, that whenever you intro something via, you know, a digital platform that you should have some type of intro that's just going to, like, capture the audience and, and really pull people in since there's not kind of the the personal or in-person contact to be able to really do that. And I just totally decided not to do that. And so we're just going to jump into um, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have been with us, then you'll know it's kind of been just a frustrating and sobering look at, at all of life. Um, for us. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it because Solomon is, is just observing what life is like under the sun and his observations are just a bit frustrating because he's, he's going to say this, no matter what your purpose, no matter what you do, no matter the status you achieve, uh, whatever happens to you under the sun all adds up to this one thing, meaninglessness. I don't care if you go the route of humanitarian aid, if you go the route of wealth, status, and success, when it's all said and done, our lives are just meaningless and vain under the sun. So it's kind of been just this real depressing uh, book, honestly, for, for some of us, but at the same time, it's hit a vein for some of us uh, where it actually is giving language for the feelings that we have on a day-to-day basis. When it comes to our work, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our hobbies, when it comes to the things that we do in life, uh, we're not finding a return on those investments uh, to the degree that we want to come back from them. We're not quite feeling the happiness. We're not quite feeling the satisfaction. We're not quite feeling the, the sense of um, completion or purpose from these things. And so uh, this this message, this, this book, this study or series has been one that's really provided for us just a lot of, of comfort in the midst of just struggle. So we looked at in chapter one, we, we talked about this, essentially pay attention to the results of what you're pursuing in your life so that you don't end up at the end of, of your life just kind of realizing that, man, all my life was spent on a treadmill, like just doing one thing after another after another, but really not going anywhere. And so we get to chapter 3, and chapter 3 says this. Man, God has placed these ingredients in life. He's placed these ingredients in life. He's given us these things in life, like mourning and sorrow, joy and laughter, a time to reap and a time to sow, a time to be born and a time to die. All of these things in life are placed in our hearts so that our hearts might long for eternity might long for something deeper than than what we're actually seeing here, so that our hearts might long for something beyond the sun, if you will. And then in chapter 4, Solomon said this, if you don't find people 
to lock arms with and do this thing together, you're going to have a very difficult time navigating through life. And so that was kind of the call for community and the call for you and me to get connected with other people to walk through life with. And the funny thing about chapter 4 when we covered that was also the week that that we literally rolled out just a global pandemic in which we have to then socially distance ourselves and, and, and in some ways isolate ourselves and quarantine ourselves to where, to where we actually can't pursue community in the traditional ways in which we've done it. And so we have to get real creative with how we link arms with one another six feet away, how we link arms with one another via text messaging or Google Meet or playing psych on your phone or whatever it looks like. We've had to get creative with how we walk through life during this season knowing that we need community in order to get through it. And then last week, the message was this. Guard your steps as you approach the throne of God to do one thing. Listen. Just listen. And then now in chapter 6, Solomon's going to do the same thing. He's just going to pick up his lament where he left off. And he's going to say this. There's, there's no satisfaction in your riches There's no satisfaction in your work. And this is just the way life is under the sun. Under the sun. So I hope you guys are ready for this one. Um, We're going to jump into it and bear with me because the first 12 verses are very bleak. And there's only 12 verses (laughs) in this chapter. Um, So we're going to dive into verse 1. And Lord willing, uh, He will make us more like Jesus as we walk through this just verse by verse and see what he has for us to, to chew on and to really let our hearts um, be molded by and shaped by. So starting in verse 1, he says this. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. Here's what he's saying. As I'm observing life under the sun, and I think it's really important to just remember that phrase, life under the sun. It's, it's important to remember here that he's looking at everything that exists under the umbrella of the sun. And what he's also saying there is he's seeing an evil that presses against humanity. It's an evil that every one of us faces, and it's prevalent among all of the human race. And here it is in verse 2. He says this, A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. And here's the evil. What God is doing is He has given us wealth, possessions, riches, power, honor. Yet if we do not have the ability to enjoy those things, which God has not given people the ability to even enjoy those things under the sun, it's a grievous evil. It is an evil to essentially gain possessions when you don't possess the ability to actually enjoy those possessions. That's the grievous evil. And the grievous evil in the original text can actually be translated a malignant disease or an evil sickness. For you and me to have things to enjoy but not be able to actually enjoy them, Solomon is saying this is like a sickness that has spread throughout all of humanity that you and I have been gifted with good and honorable things, yet we find no satisfaction in them, no lasting joy, no richness, no depth in these things under the sun. And he's going to use an analogy and a comparison in the next few verses, verses 3 to 6, to demonstrate his point. 
And I just want to tell you, when I first read it, um, it, it, it was like getting punched in the stomach when reading these verses because what he's going to compare this to is, is really just a tragedy that all of us are, are too familiar with. Look at verse 3. He says this. Can you hear me? All right. I think we're back. Not sure where it froze or where you got left off, but... Okay, I'm going to start at Grievous Evil. Um, okay. The, the idea of a grievous evil can be translated a malignant disease or an evil sickness. Um, for you and me to have things to enjoy but not actually be able to enjoy them is what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying it's like a sickness that's, that's just spread throughout all of humanity where we have things that we possess but we're not able to actually enjoy them. And then he wants to compare this idea to um, what we see in verses 3 through 6. And again, as, as I was reading this, verses 3 through 6, it, it really was just kind of a, a punch to my stomach. It, it's a tragedy that, that he's comparing this to that we're all oftentimes too familiar with. And so I want you to look at verse 3 with me. This is what he says. He says this, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And let me say this, that there's some culture going on here in this verse. For the Hebrew, if you have been given longevity in life, it's a sign of God's blessing. He says, um, ultimately here, if you've also been given many children, that's also, again, a sign of God's blessing. So what Solomon is doing is he's saying, hey, let's make up a situation. Let's say you have a hundred kids Let's say you have a hundred years that you're living. If you do not possess the ability to enjoy those hundred kids and those hundred years that you're living, it's actually better for you to have not lived. As he says in this, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. And that's just kind of sobering. Like I read that and, and I was looking for a way to kind of dance around the reality of, of miscarriage and stillborn being a part of this text. And if you have, if you kind of go by the New American Standard Version, this, that's what it translates as a miscarriage. And I'm sure many of you, like I know many people who have suffered through the tragedy of miscarriage. Um, it's absolutely gut-wrenching to have a child and that child not be carried to term is a tragedy that is, that is just gut-wrenching. Not only on the father, but especially on the mother. And so as I was looking for a way to just kind of bounce around this text and not deal with it, 
because it's so close to home, especially for those of us who have suffered through it. But to dance around this is to miss the very point that Solomon is making. He says this, it's more tragic for someone to be given life and possessions and honor and riches and not enjoy life's good things than the tragedy of a miscarriage. Like you see, for Solomon, he recognizes both of them are tragedies. He's just saying that it's more tragic for life to be granted and this person not enjoy the things of life than it is for a baby to come or not come to term. And so you kind of feel the emphasis that he's putting here. You see, for all of us, we, we are on this side of life. We're on this side of life where, where we've been given the opportunity to enjoy it. And he's saying, if your life is not marked by the enjoyment of life's good things, then it's better that you were never, ever born in the first place. And he's going to tell us why in verse 4. A stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. So he says here, forget the long life of a hundred years, let's take two thousand years of life. If you've been given two thousand years to enjoy life, and you've been given hundreds and hundreds of children, it ultimately amounts to nothing. And the reason it's better for the miscarriage is because that little baby did not suffer through the frustration and the vanity and the futility and the meaninglessness of life as we know it under the sun with no purpose. He says there's more rest for that baby than there is for the man or woman who has been granted life but can't seem to figure it out can't seem to find satisfaction, can't find the ability to enjoy life's good things. Or as the Rolling Stones put it, I just can't get no satisfaction. Hey, hey, hey. I was singing that earlier before service. And he says, this little baby is in a better place. More rest than this soul that can find rest under the sun. So his first point is this. There's, there's no satisfaction in your riches in your honor, in your possessions under the sun. A few weeks ago, um, a buddy of mine from high school posted a picture of the last home football game that we played in uh, back in good old White House, Tennessee. There's a couple of people from White House uh, logged in right now. Hey, Mom and Dad. Uh, Luann Inman as well. Just all the family. And uh, this football picture that was posted, a, a lot of my buddies and I, we were kind of commenting underneath it. And, and as I was kind of just looking at the comments that were coming, it, it was really funny as we're all kind of reliving the glory days. Every single one of us at some point or another started sounding like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Like, I mean, it was just, man, back in 04, like I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Like, it's just the way that we were kind of commenting. And... And, and it kind of made me just start thinking, um, even as one of the guys said on there, and I'm not going to say names, but uh, literally one of the comments were, man, if we'd have won that semifinal game, we'd have won state. You know, like it, it's just kind of that mentality of, of just going through life. And I could tell for some of my old high school buddies that this is what they hold on to. 
Like, this is the honor and glory that they lay claim to. And it got me thinking, like, if that was just what life was all about, it would be very lame. Like, it would just be very lame. I thought, like, because if you're hanging on to that game against Memphis Melrose in 2004, and all the recognition, you get the poster outside of the stadium that most people in the world will never see, nobody really cares anymore, you get the plaque, and you get the five minutes on the field, and this... And if this is what honor is for those who live under the sun, then it's just terribly disappointing and stale. And the sad thing is, is that many of my buddies are still holding on to those four years as the greatest times of their life. Like, I mean, it's legit, like varsity blues is kind of what I was brought up in. And they've not been able to see life beyond the sun. They, they didn't want the day to end because there was nothing else for them. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying here. Like, if you're stuck below the sun, all of your honor, all of your riches, all of your possessions amount to absolutely nothing. It's meaningless. It's vanity. And it just doesn't matter in the end. And it's unbelievably sobering and real when you actually come to terms with it. And he goes on in the next section, starting in verse 7. He's going to say this, and, and by the way, if you think you have like that great job where you're helping people out, or you have that great job where you're making a bunch of money, Solomon's going to say to you, if you're stuck underneath the sun, your job doesn't amount to anything. Look at verse 7. All the toil of man, meaning all the work of humanity, is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Here's what he's saying there. Essentially, when you boil it down, when you're a high-profile CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're a part-time Burger King working college student, you essentially work for food. Like, you're just working for the satisfaction of food. You just work for your next meal. And you're, and, and you're going to leave here today, maybe not here physically, but you're going to stay in your homes when the end of this service happens. And let's say at that point, you're like, man, we're going we're gonna to make a great meal. We're going to enjoy great food. And you make some fajitas tonight. Like, apparently, like, that's great level food for me. But you're going to make fajitas tonight. You're going to enjoy it. But the reality is, is you're going to then get hungry again for another meal. Because that meal did not ultimately provide for you satisfaction. And it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're Peyton Manning or if you're the ball boy for the Colts. You're just essentially eating food. And you're just going to get hungry again. I remember back when I was in college, um, I had a low-paying job working for the Parks and Rec Department um, for Murfreesboro, Tennessee. But, like, I didn't miss a meal then. Like, I ate food. Um, it wasn't always edible, but, like, I ate food. It wasn't great, but I ate something. And today, even though I have a better job and I make more money than I was making then, essentially all I do is still eat food. And, and I'm kind of interested to see what we all look like when we come out of quarantine because that's all we're doing right now is basically just eating food. But all of the reality of our life right now is coming to this point that like you're working to just consume. And it's never leading to satisfaction. You're going to grow hungry again and again. And again, and that's what the main point that he's driving here is everything you do is ultimately for satisfaction that just leads to more hunger. More hunger. 
And all, and for those of you who think you might have found kind of a loophole in all of this, like, ah, I just won't work. I'll just study and learn and I'll just get really smart and have other people work for me. He's going to say this in verse 8. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does this poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? He's saying this, if you're really smart, ultimately, you have no advantage over the one who's really dumb. If you have and gain wisdom, you have no advantage over the fool. If you have the ability to kind of skillfully just navigate or skillfully um, live your life in a way, he's going to say this to you. In the end, it doesn't really matter. You have no advantage over the other person in the way that they live their life or what they possess. Everyone under the sun is on this equal playing field of meaninglessness and vanity when it comes to satisfaction within creation. And I just want you to feel the gravity of the picture that Solomon is painting over our lives. Like he's going to say in verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is a vanity and a striving after wind. It's better for you to enjoy the little that you have than it is for you to dream big about something that will never, ever satisfy you. Now, the reality of this is, this is reality. In the last three verses, verses 10 through 12, uh, kind of title over it, C'est la vie, which is just French for such is life. Here's the truth. You can hate this truth. You can rail against this truth, but you can't do anything to change it. You just can't. You see, you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, man? I totally disagree with you, Dwayne. I've got a great job. I love it. I, I feel like I'm doing great things for people. Or you might be saying to yourself, you know what? Honestly, man, I'm rich. I, I really like being rich. I'm having a good time. But Solomon's going to say, before you start down that path, just a moment, would you have the courage to look at your life and see if you might not be on a treadmill? He's going to say, just for a moment, just stop and look. Because if you're on a treadmill, it can begin to lull you to sleep and forget that you're even on a machine. Like you can be deceived into thinking, man, no, this, this is life. This is what it's all about. And Solomon says, as long as you and I are stuck under the sun, you are on a treadmill of meaninglessness and no progress. And if you've ever been to the gym, I know a few weeks ago I, j I joked about being in the gym and being on a treadmill. You walk in, you see these 15 treadmills that are lined up right here, and you see all the televisions above it. They're there for a purpose. They're there to distract you from what you're actually doing on a treadmill. And there's other things that you can do. If you're not watching TV, you can plug into um, your phone and listen to music, or you can open up a book, or if there's someone next to you, you can talk to them while you're on the treadmill, if you have the breath to be able to do that. But like those things are there to distract you from the reality that you're actually running on a treadmill. Because no one wants to actually get on a treadmill. It's like the worst thing ever and run going nowhere. No one wants to really do that. But yet, this is what we're doing in life. And what he's wanting us to do, what he's wanting us to see, is just contemplate in our lives, 
when we're chasing after toil, when we're chasing after hobbies, when we're chasing after um, pleasures and satisfaction, and we're actually not getting any satisfaction in those things, we're striving after them, but never actually returning from them what we're seeking. So it's like we're on a treadmill, constantly seeking after And he literally says, if we don't consider it, we're just foolish. And so he wants us to consider it. And this is what he's going to tell us in these verses, verse 10 through 12, starting in verse 10. Whatever has come to, to be has already been named. Let me translate that for you. God has decreed it to be this way. This whole idea of naming shows God's sovereign control over the entire universe. And God himself has decreed meaninglessness in life under the sun. What he's basically saying there is God has provided for us creation and if we're striving after creation to get satisfaction, he's actually never going to give us satisfaction in our pursuit of creation. Never going to give it to us. So he gives us good things without the ability to actually be satisfied by those good things. That's a good gift that God has given us. As he continues on, and it is known what man is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. You see, you can hate it, you can rail against it, you can say it ain't so, but there's nothing you can do to change this. And the reason that you and I can't change it is because God has decreed it and he's stronger than you are. And then he's going to go on and say, if you leave here this morning and if, if we go to the restaurant in a few weeks, whenever they open back up and and we talk amongst ourselves and we go, you know what, Dwayne's stupid. This isn't the way it is. I'm going to figure out what meaning really is all about in life. I'm going to find satisfaction in life. I'm going to figure out purpose underneath the sun. And this is what he's going to say in verse 11. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? What he's basically saying there is you can talk about it. You can write a thesis about it. You can rail against this reality of life. But the fact is you can't change it. And the more you try to argue and dispute against it only adds to the futility of life. And so he's going to end these verses this way. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? He's asking some really good questions here, and Solomon is saying this. So long as you and I are stuck under the sun, life's meaningless. So long as you are stuck here under the sun, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no satisfaction, there's no joy. And I hope that you and I are catching the picture of the bleakness of life under the sun. If, if you're looking for it in creation, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. It's bleak. And this is the most important thing I'm going to say today in regards to this text. If Solomon is saying that everything you live for under the sun is meaningless and you find no satisfaction in it, then it's imperative that you and I have to get beyond the sun in order to find something refreshing for meaningful or satisfying about life. 
Let me read that again. If Solomon is saying everything you live for under the sun is meaningless and you won't find satisfaction in it, then it's imperative that you and I have to get beyond the sun in order to find anything refreshing or meaningful or satisfying about life. So how do we get beyond the sun? And the first way you and I get beyond the sun is we have to first locate the sun. We have to locate the sun. You and I have to realize whether we are stuck under the sun or whether we're beyond the sun. We have to locate the sun in life. And some of you right now are like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what the sun looks like because it's just been cloudy and um, we've been inside for weeks now. I kind of like picture all of us, like when, when we're actually free to be able to get out and the sun actually pierces through the clouds, we're like gonna come out looking like Grizzly Adams with a beard and just like walking out like blinded by it with like an extra 30 pounds. Like this is just kind of how I'm viewing how everything's going to go. But we got to locate the sun in our lives metaphorically. And I think the best way to show you how to, how to navigate the sun in our lives is to read Romans 1, 22 through 25 for you. And here's what it says. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, locating the sun in your life is determining whether or not you are seeking satisfaction in creation or creator. Because creation is everything that's under the sun. Our creator is the only thing that is above the sun because he created it. He put it into existence. He breathed it into being. And you know what? It takes a lot of courage for us just to say this. I'm stuck below the sun. I'm seeking satisfaction in my work. I'm seeking satisfaction in my spouse. I'm seeking it in my children. I'm seeking it in my hobbies. I'm seeking it in my friendships. It's why I get frustrated. It's why I get upset if someone doesn't text me back. It's why you're upset if I haven't texted you back this week. You're finding or seeking satisfaction in things that cannot ultimately satisfy you because they're going to let you down. Because God has not given us the ability to be satisfied by creation. He's only given us the ability to be satisfied by Him alone. That's why as we look back in, in, in um, Ecclesiastes 3, that He's written eternity on our hearts. And what that ultimately means is that when we look for that eternity on our hearts, when we look for that deep-rooted satisfaction and we're looking for it in creation, creation can never fill the void of that eternity that only God can fill. And if we're willing to admit that this morning, then there's good news for you to get beyond the sun. And let me tell you how that happens. The only way that you get beyond the sun is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single day. Whether you're a non-believer or a believer, the only way to get beyond the sun is through the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to read for you, and this is how we're going to close out, is Romans 8, 1 through 11. 
And I want you just to hear these truths of how God, the creator, has stepped into creation in order to bring the satisfaction that creation could never bring. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Like if you're running on a treadmill all your day seeking satisfaction, you're not free. You're bound to creation to try to pull satisfaction from it. But when we find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone, we're free from that bondage and that treadmill. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Walking according to the flesh is trying to find satisfaction in creation rather than creator. That's what sin is. All of sin is summed up in that one thing. Worshiping creation rather than God. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. We're seeking satisfaction in creation. That's setting your minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of Christ. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, no satisfaction. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace satisfaction, and you're full. You are living a life of pleasure, wealth, because you have it in Christ and Him alone. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are living out life by trying to find satisfaction in your work and in your toil and your relationships and all of those things, You're not pleasing God, nor will you find pleasure from God. However, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So for those who have received Christ, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, if you've accepted Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, the only thing to get you beyond the Son is, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit, what you're longing for, is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, satisfaction, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Man, the only way that we get beyond the Son. And we find full satisfaction, life to the full, is through Christ who dwells in us. And that's the only way that we can then, as we get beyond the sun, step back into the world that is under the sun and begin to steward all of the good things that God gives us in a way that we don't desire from them satisfaction but we're actually free to enjoy them to the degree that God's caused us or allowed us to enjoy them. So for those who are walking through life, seeking satisfaction from creation, God has not given them the ability to enjoy it. A non-believer 
cannot enjoy sex in the way that God's designed it. A non-believer cannot enjoy food in the way that God's designed it. A non-believer cannot find purpose in work and toil, in being a CEO or being a, a startup entrepreneur, cannot enjoy it the way that God's designed it to be. But a believer, someone who's gone beyond the sun and who dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in them, who's put trust in them, faith in him, by having Christ as their ultimate satisfaction, is now able to enjoy all of those good things because they're free. They're not running a treadmill day after day trying to figure it out and find satisfaction in it, but are free to enjoy it because in Christ they have everything they need. And actually they're able to find that in enjoying those things, it's not for their own personal gain, but it's actually for the gain of others. So they begin to establish food to bless others. They begin to work and toil for the sake of others. They begin to gather wealth and possessions for the sake of others. They become a generous person because again, in Christ, they are full. They have everything they need. And in that, they're wise. And in that, they have satisfaction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can gather this morning, that we can enjoy reading your word, even though it might be piercing to our hearts. But we just pray, Lord, that this would be a time that you allow us to see that we are striving after the wind if we're seeking satisfaction in creation, things that are under the sun. God, that we also need, we need your Savior Jesus to intervene in our lives so that we can actually get beyond the sun to be able to find only satisfaction in Him and Him alone, which then frees us to be able to rightly steward and place creation, everything else that's under the sun, in its rightful place, to enjoy it, but also to be generous in how we steward it. So God, help us with that. And help us see, man, just the good news that you have provided us in this text. Thank you for telling us and letting us know that what we're striving after in creation will not satisfy, but we find it in you and you alone. Let this shape us and let this become more like Jesus every single day. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at